I am Plot on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. One of uh, the more interesting books of the season is the one from Max Wyman, The Compassionate Imagination, How the Arts Are Central to a Functioning Democracy. It's an engaging book, one that stresses how important the arts are in a society and culture, not to mention the discourse. The economic spin-offs from the arts are there. We know the benefit to other industries because of a thriving arts scene. Yet far too often... They're seen as unnecessary, unimportant, or a frill. Engineering, technology, or mathematics seem to be deemed more important. And as Max makes the case in the book, we're the poorer for it. And he doesn't suggest that STEM isn't important, but that perhaps STEAM, with the arts in there, could make a shift that will be good for all. The book also makes uh, for suggestions as to how government fund the arts, and it's uh, not saying the private sector hasn't got a part either. His suggested structure for a new Canadian cultural contract is not only innovative, but feasible. Max, who joins me now, knows of which he speaks. For over three decades, Max Wyman has burnished his credentials as one of Canada's foremost cultural commentators. His criticism and analysis has appeared in the Vancouver Sun and CBC Radio, He is an officer of the Order of Canada, a former board member of the Canada Council for the Arts, and a former president of the Canadian Commission for UNESCO. He is also a former mayor of Lions Bay, British Columbia, where he joined me from last week. This new book is published by Cormorant Books. It was recently named a finalist for the 2023 Balsillie Prize for Public Policy. Please welcome to the Plant Online Program, Max Wyman. Mr. Wyman, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. My um, pleasure. Propriety and, and good manners suggest that um, I ask how you are, and, and, and um, I, I do that in light of how you opened the book, because you mentioned about 10 years ago you were diagnosed with a form of leukemia. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. yeah. So, uh, lymph- how- lymph- lymphoma. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's, and I'm fine. I, I'm, it's, uh, it's, it's resting. It's taking its time. It's um, indolent is what the medical term is. Um, which is good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was 10 years ago, and, and I was given a, an estimate. I, I thought it would, I'd get about five years, and mm-hmm. I had, you know, 10 years, and it's, there's no trouble. Um, I'm functioning normally. I, I have a lot of heart troubles as well, and, and that's uh, settled down. So, you know, here I am, 84, and um, trotting off to Toronto in a couple of weeks for a, a big um, PR blast for the new book. And, and that's the thing that you, you mentioned at the beginning of the book about how um, you're taking the time to think about all of this stuff that, that you've, you've contended with throughout your, your, your life and your career. Yeah. And, and that comes through in the book because it, it's um, a marvelous way for all of us to think about the future of the arts in Canada. Yeah. Um, you, you diagnose what, what um, in the book what ails the country culturally, and then you offer pre- prescriptions, robust ideas and solutions. Um, but the country itself, I mean, we, we are very divided politically, socially, economically. Yeah. Um, wh- why do you think it's turned out the way it has? I mean, the, the last 10 years, I mean, the, the American example, I guess, has that wafted up here and, and, and uh, turned us? In, in, in my view, yes. I mean, I think this, uh, it's not just America, it's, it's international. The, the polarization that's happened, and it's been a complex of reasons why. I mean, part of it's social media, the the availability of, of, of a pipeline for anybody's views about anything. And people's reactions to those things are often not very well thought out, so that you have a, a very, very natural, um, unfortunately, natural polarization of, of thinking that roots people into positions that they can't easily get out of. And 
we've had that happen here, not to the same extent as it has in the U.S., because we haven't had a Trump to to reinforce that polarization. Right. But we we have come to a point as as a human race actually where the other is in some way um, our enemy, uh, somebody we don't understand or don't know. We we don't trust them, and uh, I think that gets in the way of a great deal of um, potential for for human reconciliation, for human flourishing, you know? If we don't accept that the other person has a, a, a point of view that, you know, they, they're allowed to hold, then we're in real trouble because we're insisting that we are right and we're quite often not right. We, we've, we've polarized our country for sure uh-huh. um, and, and every, every other country as well. I, I don't, I can't, well, I, have, I suppose it's a human thing. You look through history and see that that's happened, but it seems acute these days. We shout and we should be listening. Uh, democracy and autocracy, they're, they're fighting each other for control of the way we live. You know, the rich get richer. Uh, we talk about, you know, the benefits of democracy. It doesn't work. Yeah. The rich get richer. The poor get poorer. Um, we're ignoring, despite all our pious talk, we're ignoring global warming. Um, we're not doing anything about it. We're, we're, we're increasing it. Uh, we spent $7 trillion internationally in 2022 on subsidies for extractive um, industries, oil, gas, coal. $7 trillion. That's one of the world spent on education in 2022. Yeah. And we talk about global warming. So, yeah, we're in a mess. Um, and it's not just Canada. It's, it's everybody. And, and I, COVID really has, has um, uh, in the midst of all this, um, I don't know for you. I, 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 it seems it's accelerated, hasn't it? I think it has. I think it, it, it forced us to. Um, well, it forced us to be to be alone. It forced us to 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 um, cocoon more. To to again draw away from the world. Uh, I, I I'm cautious when I go outside now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't interact as well as as as, as uh, easily as I used to because I'm always wary of catching COVID. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I've traveled so much in the last uh, 15 years. I've been around the world. I've been to many, many countries. And for the last three years, Susan and I haven't traveled. Mm-hmm. Except at Christmas, we went to Spain yeah. uh, for a family reunion, and I picked up a, a chest thing that lasted for three weeks on the plane. You know, so we're afraid of these things. And we, we become, despite, I think, our better selves, we become inhibited, um, introverted, secluded, cocooned, and more and more fearful of the other, the other, Captain Capo. A lot of what you write in the book, you know, that from the arts we can gain decency, empathy. Um, These are things that we all know. Um, but but along the way we've forgotten. It's a, sort of like a good diet. I mean, we we know that diet and exercise are good for us, but some of us fall short. Yeah. Um, and and we need to be reminded regularly, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, and it's also there's a there's a, a, a public perception that the arts uh, are frill. Mm. Um, government treats the treats the arts that way. They they give the arts the cultural community just about enough to get along on, not much more. Um, they don't bring it up as an issue of importance at um, election time. We are conditioned as a, as a society to treat the arts as a frill, and we do, um, so that 
all those benefits that um, I write about in the, in the book about uh, the way that it can make us more compassionate people, more empathetic, more fulfilled, um, go by the bar, by the board, and and we're wasting what seems to me one of our precious rare earth minerals, which is culture, art, um, wasting it in a profligate way by simply not giving it to everybody, making it available to everybody, letting everyone understand that it is really as valuable to our to our health spiritually and, and physically uh, as as education, uh, as, as as health itself, health, the health system itself. It's as it's as basically functional as that to my mind. Yeah, and and one of the problems I see, I guess, Max, is is that um, governments are run like businesses, and so um, yeah. the argument uh, for, say, uh, increasing funding for a lot of these things is uh, there's no value seen in that by a lot of people. And I guess, as you write in the book, the capitalist consumption system, yeah, um, that really does a number on how. Um, the, the benefits that, that, that say, a, a, a deputy minister would see in funding or, or, or even in, in the private sector business would see in, in the, the benefit in, in, in funding something or, or donating to, towards something that, that is artistic. Absolutely, Joe. I mean, uh, I, I can understand. I, I mean, when I was on the board of the Canada Council uh, at the turn of the century, I was there for six years, and I would talk to politicians and bureaucrats and say, how do we best make the case for the arts? And they would say, I think I mentioned this in the book, they would say, make it about jobs and the economy. They always said, make it about jobs and the economy. Because that's the way government works. Government has to be able to justify things. It's based on accountability. You can't spend government money without, being, without demonstrating that it has a value on the end of it. But you can't measure the arts on a cost-benefit graph. You know, Joe, it's, it's, it's not possible to say, well, this, this returned so much money here and so much money there. Yeah. Now, the arts community has done a really good job of making those arguments as best it can. You know, they, they prove that more people buy tickets to cultural events than to sports events. They, they, they prove that it returns back multiples of the amount of it invested from government in terms of taxes. It, it, they prove that it, it causes all sorts of ancillary job um, benefits, you know, taxi drivers and restaurants, and, and you know, there's a real spin-off effect mm-hmm. economically. But that's a losing argument in the end. Uh, when you tie it, when the artists tie themselves to the economic argument, because they have to, the, they ignore all the other benefits. I mean, it, not just the, 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 um, the benefits to education, for instance. It's yeah. been, been proven, you know, time and time again that kids who get an education that includes the arts uh, are, are far more fulfilled and, 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 and um, expressive human beings yeah. than they would have been just going through school with a STEM syllabus. And one of the suggestions I make in the book is that we need to turn STEM into STEAM, yeah. put, bring the arts back in. Because we need, we need the coders, of course we do. We need the technicians and the yeah. electricians and, the, and all the people who know how to operate all these new machines that are coming at us down the road. But... We also need people who understand the, the human dimension of it, the, 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 the moral dimension, the spiritual dimension, the, the, the aspect of life that isn't measurable on a cost-benefit graph. And that's what we get from exposing kids to the arts. And uh, that's why I'm arguing that we need desperately to, to, to get rid of this um, emphasis on STEM 
Yeah. And you know, keep STEM, of course. Don't get rid of STEM. But add an A for arts and balance it all out. They, they go together. They're not rivals, arts and sciences. They, they're collaborative, and they should be treated that way. Indeed. Um, the, the book is ambitious in, in how it suggests for a Canadian cultural contract. Um, and as I was reading that, um, I liked some of the examples you gave in terms of the other countries that have similar schemes that provide support for the arts for artists yeah. uh, and, importantly, accessibility for the population. Yeah. One of the things you suggest in, in the book is, is a credit of $1,000 um, for, for each person that they could use for, say, getting a subscription for a theater company, the symphony. Um, or, or, or if I want to buy, buy a loom so they can win yeah, something. You know? Yeah. And, and so um, in, in countries where, where this happens, where, where this works, yeah. um, I guess the benefits are incalculable, aren't they? They are. Um, the thing is, if you, if you, we, we, we're, we're limited, I think, in this country to a large extent by our geography. You know, yeah. a lot of people, there is not an equity in terms of arts access. In the big cities, fine. You can go to a concert, you can go to a play, you can do what you like. Um, outside, and a lot of people, a lot of Canadians live outside the big cities, um, there's nothing. Um, it's very, very hard to see a live play, for instance. Or, or Now, this, this money would allow people to become expressive in their own way, to, to get creative in their own way, to perhaps become part of a, a community theatre group or, or a community knitting group, um, but, but release their expressive capacity to allow them to create and share their creations with other people. This is what I'm getting at when I'm talking about the way that arts build compassion, because once you, make, once you express yourself to somebody else through an artistic piece of work, a piece of music, for instance, or a poem. Um, you're laying yourself on the line. And when you read somebody else's poem or listen to somebody else's music, you're hearing them on the line. Yeah. And that opens you up. It, opens, it makes you realize that other people have other points of view, other people feel things in a different way. Maybe they feel them the same way as you. Um, you get a much wider sense of the reality of, of humanity. And once you do that, you become a more empathetic person you can't help it you can't help it but uh, see from a different point of view once you've seen that person's expressive act um you know read somebody's poem and you see into their hearts that's why artists are so so naked in their expression they'll they'll talk to you so openly and they'll expect that back and it's so enriching and it it, it builds a kind of trust not necessarily liking people, but trusting and, 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 and understanding people better. And I think that's the first step toward the place where I believe we have to go, which is a central area where we can actually talk to each other with civility and humility and, and passion yeah. and humor, um, but trustingly. Uh, right now, we don't trust anybody. We don't trust the other, which is why, we, to come back to what, where we started, yeah. which is why we're so polarized, where we're so stuck in this position where nobody can solve a problem because nobody's listening to anybody else or nobody's trusting anybody else. The arts, creative expression, sharing creative expression, helps you do that. And, and you, you see, one of the points, that, one of the reasons why I made this proposal for this um, grant, this or what you do, work through the tax system or the benefit system, yeah. don't quite know how to work, but one of the reasons I suggested it is because we need to be able to give people that ability to to see that, uh, that, that other people are, are people with ideas and feelings and thoughts, and they're not to be frightened of. They're not
exchange with. And, and you know, that's at the heart of being human. You know, you, you love somebody, you, you, you feel fond of someone, you, you argue with someone, but you recognize them as a human being. And that's where we have to be. And we're not there at the moment. We've allowed ourselves to be totally shoved aside from each other. Uh, part of it's social media. Part of it is, is um, the way we live, the way we work, the way yeah. we, we are forced to, to make our way um, uh, individually uh, as, 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 as competitors. We're, we're in, a, in a situation where it's very hard to trust and love. And uh, if we don't do that, we, we, um, we're going to keep going down this, this path to, um, well, we're on a downward uh, evolutionary slope at the moment. Yeah. So, so I was thinking about how it, we would get the thousand dollars to to people every year. Um, you mentioned a tax credit a moment ago. Uh, I remember during the Harper years there was a tax credit for um, um, young people who wanted to get into sport. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. in in the current scheme there's a uh, a credit for uh, if you subscribe to a newspaper, for example. Yeah. You can you can so so I mean this, these things are easy to do. They are easy to yeah. do. Uh, this, this, it's, it's political will, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that the, the, the cultural community has to do is stop presenting itself as needy. Um, we've had this, because of the, 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 they've been forced to make the economic argument, the social improvement argument, um, so strongly to government. They, they come across as beggars. Mm-hmm. And that's, why government, that's how government treats them. You know, they slip them a coin or two and, and move on. Um, we've got to get away from this litany of neediness and, and move on as a, a vision of, of, of opportunity, of, 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 of uh, an, an opportunity to grasp this phenomenal resource we have of um, expressive connection um, and compassion. Uh, the other argument I'm making here, and this is a different, well, I'm, I'm segueing off to a different yeah. angle here, Joe, but that's the question of, of complexity. Um, Governments are, are really having trouble these days uh, handling uh, the, all these challenges we're facing, you know, you know, not just climate change, everything. Yeah. And as crisis piles up on crisis, you know, we're getting more and more aware of, of how we short-term thinking doesn't work. And uh, the traditional systems of governing, you know, where rationality and measurement take precedence, they're not up to the task of coping with this, this chaos that the current world is in. Um, so what, what I think we need is, is a new form of government that deals with complexity, um, builds complexity into, into the way we approach subjects. So there's too many elements to any one question to treat them in silos. And we have to treat them as a, um, as a mix of challenges. And so governments need a new kind of flexibility, uh, sort of a, a nimbleness of mind that takes uncertainty and complexity into account. Um, and that's where, you know, that's where the arts come in. Yeah. Uh, artists, uh, but, you know, what they do is built on on ambiguity and complexity and, and um, uh, uh, the whole question of, of what if. And it's time to bring them, I think, it's time to bring the artists to the decision-making table. Not, not as advisors, we do that quite often, yeah. but as real participants. Um, perhaps we could, you know, come up with a new form of collaborative learning, put artists together with with uh, the people who are in, involved in improving public services, people who are making policy decisions, put them together with academics and artists, and develop new ways to adapt to these changes that are probably not 
within the confines of logic and rationality, but can be approached through creative means, uh, through ingenuity and, and ambiguity and possibility and asking what if. You know, artists often engage with questions we don't often engage with. They ask uncomfortable questions that we can't otherwise handle. And they also encourage us to to consider moral priorities, to imagine alternatives. And that is an angle that we don't often see happen in, in government yeah. because that's not, that's not measurable. You can't measure moral sensibility. But we've got to get into that area of the intuitive, the imagined, the interior world, because that's where we discover new stuff and then integrate them into policymaking. So yeah. one of those subjects, one of the proposals I'm making in this new Canadian cultural contract is that we bring the artists to the table as participants, not as not as guests, not as consultants, but as actual participants in the process. There's a guy in Vancouver, David Diamond, you probably know him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Theatre for Living has a company he, yeah. he, he built, and they, they go out into communities and they build plays with the community about issues that concern them. Um, they, they'll, they'll get them to identify a problem, um, and then they'll just talk talk about it, and they'll get them to act it for the community, and then the community will comment on it, and then people in the, in the community, in the audience, will go and take the place of somebody in the play, and it's a matter of acting out a problem in an imaginative way that you would never see in a government boardroom, yeah. but it often comes to a solution that um, they hadn't thought of, and that solves their, or helps them towards solving their problem. Often there isn't even a play at the end of it at all. It's a process, you know, theatre for living. Fascinating. I, I was just thinking, I was on Granville Island recently, and I'm old enough to remember when you could take the bus and, and it would drop you right in front of the market. Yeah. And um, now there are no buses. You have to get off before the entrance there yeah. and, and walk in. I mean, if, if they involved, say, a lot of the artists, artisans who work on Granville Island, they would suggest something like, you know, it would solve the parking problem, for example. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you go down there on any given day, oh. and you can't get there. You have to build the time looking for parking. I was, I was doing a panel at the yeah. uh, Writers' Festival the other week, and, uh-huh. and I couldn't find parking. I thought, I'm not going to get there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you involve the artists, they'll, they'll give you the solutions that they need. Yeah, on, yeah. on how to just say, say manage uh, the cars on, on Granville Island. If yeah. that's a reduction of cars, so be it, right? There's a, there's a real resource of imagination and expression that yeah. we're just not using. And I, I believe that if we if we did that, if we if we brought the artist into into the government, if we changed the education system, rebalanced the education, not change it, rebalance it to give uh, the humanities a, a better deal. Um, if we brought here's another one. If we brought indigenous ways of thinking and knowing into the process, yeah. along with the artists, well, we'd start getting somewhere. Um, I, I'm, I'm not an expert by any means on indigenous ways of knowing and thinking, but I do know that it's very different from the traditional Western um, system that's been handed down to us for the last 300 years. We're linear. We, we think in rational, linear ways. Um, indigenous thinking tends to be all at once. Everything in, in the part, you know, everything that happened, everything that might happen, everything that's happening now. And it uh, approaches a problem in a totally different way. And again, I think that should be a, an element of how we, we incorporate um, the arts into, into our, our societies, uh, into our social being, yeah. which is why, you know, the fourth leg of 
my proposal is is this um, grant the the thousand dollar a Canadian way of what that does is reinforce access. Yeah. It gives people a chance to really understand and really benefit from things they're paying for. After all, Indeed. come on. Yeah. Um, and, and part of this too would be a I'm proposing a national streaming service. Uh, streaming is so complex now and so so um, wonderful. Uh, the streaming systems are so so have such ability to get to people that. Why not a, a national streaming service, free, 24 hours a day to all Canadians of anything that our creative artists make, paintings or plays or ballets or music, stick it on a streaming service and give access to that, not a, not a fee, just make it available. So immediately you're giving all Canadians access to this richness of stuff that's coming out 24 hours a day. I mean, we have a we have artists who, who are stunning the world with what they do. Look at what Crystal Pite and Jonathan yeah. Young are doing. They've just made a new piece. Um, Kid Pivot, the, the dance theater company, new piece called Assembly Hall, which is just off on a, on a tour of the world. It knocks people dead. Um, we've got artists who are creating stuff all the time. And, it, you know, people in Canada need to have access to it. They won't like all of it. Sure. No, I don't like all of it. Um, but, boy... It, uh, it changes your life. Yeah. Well, what role would the private sector play in all this, Max? Because you're, you're not suggesting that, that we hand this all to government for, for government to fix, because the, the private sector does have a part to play, don't they? Of course it does. Of course it does. I, I'm, I mean, I, I, it's too much to expect that we dismantle the whole, uh, you know, neoliberal complex. But uh, uh, we, yeah, the government, uh, the private sector has a large role to play because... The benefits that uh, the arts bring to society inevitably benefit the private sector. The, the, the effect that the arts have on the health system is incalculable. Uh, there's, there's some wonderful new evidence coming out from neuroscience these days. It's just starting to filter into having an effect, um, proving, proving through, through science, through laboratory, laboratory science that the act of making art, of, of singing, of drawing, of, of graffiti, um, has a beneficial effect on the brain. It can um, help with um, Alzheimer's. It can help with uh, kids who are in trouble. It can do all kinds of things. You know what uh, what it's like. We, we all talk about how music can calm us and make us yeah. joyful and make us sad. Well, now we're understanding how that happens, how the synapses are affected by actual sound or, or actual things we see. Um, all of these benefits are benefits to society. If art helps people get out of the hospital faster, that's, that's helping the private sector um, yeah. because it cuts back on, um, on worker, worker illness. It, it uh, helps worker engagement. Um, I think the private sector has a, has a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. And so mm -hmm. to, just to single out the private sector is wrong. I think we all... We all own. We all own the arts, you know. Um, it belongs to all of us, and, and we all have our. Well, I hate to say responsibility, but we all it, it, responsibility only in the sense that we have a responsibility to each other, and to 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 be as fulfilled as we can as as social human beings, and uh, that's part of as part of the private sector's responsibility. Yes, they owe they, their their first um, responsibilities to their shareholders. But that's not the only reason. Money is not the only question here. It's the, 
she was a, a, a more vibrant, more engaged, more humane, more um, alive, more considerate, more loving, more kind world. Uh, nothing wrong with any of those things. Um, I, I was curious as, as I was reading your book, Max, um, uh, what your cultural consumption is on a given week. Um, uh, you know, um, what do you do during the week up there in Lions Bay in terms of, of what you watch, what you read, what you see? Yeah, I, um, I read a to? lot. Yeah. I read a lot of books. Um, and there's a, there's a range, range of them. I'll, I'll go from... Um, from a thriller, Ian Rankin, perhaps, uh-huh. um, to a book. There's a wonderful new book on that just came out recently. Um, Your mind on art. Have you ever have you seen that? No, yeah, that sounds like a great. Title. It is. Yeah. You you might want to talk to the person who wrote it actually, because it's uh, it's about how it, it sums up this all this neuroscience stuff I was just talking about. How neuroscience is is proving that you are a healthier, uh, uh, brainier person uh, on art. Uh, consuming art. I'm surrounded by um, pictures that I like, um, and that's you're not conscious of that, but it's part of my day. I think if if the pictures that were in our house weren't there, I'd I'd feel a, a, a I'd feel a real um, a lack. I'd, I'd feel something was missing. I probably wouldn't make that put my finger on it, but I, I would. Um, I have I'm fortunate, enormously fortunate, to be married to uh, Susan. My wife, we've been together for 40-odd years, nearly 50. Um, and she's a philosopher and uh, an aesthetician. Uh, when, I, when I tell people she's an aesthetician, they say, oh, she just does people's nails. <laughs> um, she, she studies aesthetics. And yeah. um, she's a writer, too. She's just finished a book on Jack Shadbolt, actually. Mm. Um, so we've got lots of conversations there. Uh, we go to a show, like we went to Crystal Bites' show the other night, um, and we don't stop talking about these things, you know. Yeah. Uh, we used to be rival critics. She was a Sun critic and I was the, the province critic. And, and we'd go to the same show. We'd sit next to each other uh, to review these shows. And we'd go back to the office and we'd write our reviews. Wouldn't talk about the shows until afterward. Um, and then she'd tell me what she'd written and I'd say, oh, I wish I'd written that. <laughs> and and uh, it, so that's a, that's a wonderful part of life. And then um, TV, well, is a real range. It, it can be music for sure. Um, it can be a documentary. I mean, I, I really was taken by Money Heist. Did you see that series? A Spanish series on, um, it ran for weeks and weeks. Well, in series, uh, there were five parts to it with about 12 episodes each. It was about a gang of thieves who stole the, um, stole, robbed the Bank of, of Spain. Ah. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, it's just as it, you feel. Okay, it's just a money heist story. It's just yeah. a, a gang thing. It wasn't. It was a real, um, really tender human stuff. A lot of violence, um, but it, it really went into um, individual uh, motivations, individual relationships. It was a very um, surprisingly layered piece of um, piece of hokum. And you know, I love that. Um, I'll, I'll take anything. I'll take anything. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll read timetables. I, <laughs> I asked that because you talk in the book about um, uh, a, a, an English teacher you had, Jeff Cooksey. Yeah, um, and Cooksey was great. Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, the way you approach life now, I mean, you've had that yeah. all the way going back to back in the Midlands, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and my home too. My, yeah. my parents were the same. They they'd uh, they'd fill me with books, and and um, there wasn't much food where I was living, but I, but I, we made our own. Yeah. Uh, I was at school with David Frost, and um, we would we would do you know, we did back baths together. Uh, so you know, yeah, I, I was very fortunate in that that upbringing. It was a school, it was a grammar school, um, and in those days, they, the grammar school didn't train you for any particular vocation. It trained you to know how to be a real person. That was what they tried to do. And Jeff Cooksey, who was this English teacher, was wonderful. He'd come in and he'd stick his feet up on his desk and call us by our first names or, or Mr. Uh-huh. And, and he treated us like people. And he made us understand the value of language the way that uh, a word means something and can carry emotion and significance. And um, he made us do a lot of analysis of of newspapers, of advertising, to see where people's intentions were with the way they used language. Very valuable stuff. He took us all through a whole range of poetry, theater, um, novels, obviously. Um, And he was always trying to guide us to the places to find what worked well, because um, a lot of stuff is pretty meretricious. You know, a lot of the stuff we read isn't, isn't lasting. Um, he tried to guide us to places where we could learn and grow and discover what, uh, you know, the meaning of life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to put it as, as, as bluntly and sillily as that. Um, but there are certain principles of living which, you know, have to do with dignity and decency and and kindness that you can get from engaging with art, uh, even if it's negative. Um, and he guided us in that direction, particularly in, in literature. He was, a, he was an amazing guy. Yeah, and and see, that's there are a lot of things to admire about you, Max. But that's one of the things as I was reading the book that I couldn't help but but admire is the fact that that this is this way of looking at life has remained with you all these years, and oh, I, I, how I, 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 invaluable I, I, it's been, hasn't it? I was so blessed of oh, being enormously valuable. And we can all get it. We can all get it, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been so fortunate with, with that. And so fortunate with my life. I mean, look, I've been paid all my life to do things that I love. Um, you know, going to the theater, going to a gallery, you know, go, listening to music. I got paid for that. And that's, you know, and then writing about it. Not, not only that, not only doing it, but then being asked to say what I thought and how it affected me. It changed me. Um, and I, 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 what I worry, worry about so much is that so many people think that there's a difference between art with a capital A mm-hmm. and art without a capital A. Um, and and there's, a, there's, there's been, because of the system we work in, which values money and profit over everything, we've, we put a greater value on professionalism in the arts than we do on community in the arts. Um, yeah, I get that. Uh, you pay a, you pay money for a ticket and you want to get value back for it, but there's equal value in the stuff that doesn't cost money, in the community stuff, in the stuff that you do yourself. You know, I I'll never be a, a professional pianist, but I loved playing the piano. Um, I'll never be a professional dancer, but I loved dancing in the couple of pieces that I danced in professionally, yeah. uh, publicly. Um, the only thing I could do is write, and, and I've been lucky enough to get paid for that. But you know, there's this difference between professionalism and the amateur, and it's, it's, a, it's a false dichotomy. Uh, one of the points I'm, 
I try to make with this book is that it does belong to everybody. And whatever you do, even if you, you never put your paintings on display, it doesn't matter a damn. You've done it. You've expressed yourself. You've, you've put a part of yourself out in the world and showed it off. And you've had that bravery to do that. And you'll, you'll get a response from someone for it. It's that commitment to trust and to a belief in that you're going to get love back from someone that is at the heart of it all, at the heart of this problem we have with the world. Um, we don't love each other enough. And I think the arts can really, really move us in that direction. They do. I know they do. You mentioned your work as, as a critic over the years. Um, that art form of criticism, uh, yeah. whether it be the theater or uh, books even or, or um, um, any kind of art, um, do you think the Internet's killed that? No, it's changed it. It certainly changed it. Um, it's not just the Internet. I mean, newspapers uh, were crushed by the Internet. They've been crushed by the Internet. And so it they've had to reduce the amount of space they give to what they consider peripheral. And what they considered peripheral, unfortunately, was the arts. So arts coverage in, in the media everywhere has really diminished. So of the number of newspapers. But I don't see this as the, the death of criticism. A lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, I see it as a, as a point of opportunity. I mean, I, I don't like the idea of a thumbs up, thumbs down, 12-word review. Uh, which you find, you know, on on the electronic media, yeah. and the fact that that book talk, which is a a, a, a branch of TikTok, yeah. is now the most effective way of selling books in the world. Uh, get a review of, by a twelve-year-old of a, of your book on TikTok, and it gets sixty million views, and you're you're a millionaire. Um, crazy. I don't think that is uh, is is helpful. Well, it's obviously helpful to whoever gets gets picked up that way. It's not sustainable, too. I would think. Well, um, but, but I think what, what has to happen is that uh, those who write criticism have to find new ways of, of, of getting it distributed and new ways of expressing it. There's always, I think, going to be a, a place for intelligent commentary on, um, on the art that's coming down the pike because there's so much of it and it's so confusing. And to have people who have some sort of insight into it is extremely valuable. We all look for shortcuts. We all look for, you know, what, look at Rotten Tomatoes. It's, yeah. uh, everyone goes there to find out about a movie. Um, we need people to, I don't, I don't believe that's a function of criticism, but that's a different, a different discussion. Um, we need people to be able to be that interface between the event and the reader or the consumer. And so there'll always be a place for, for criticism, I believe, intelligent criticism. And it's already evolving online. You're finding more and more blogs and, and um, shared uh, critical foci where they bring together, you know, critics from around the world to, to, um, to contribute to, to blogs or, or, or websites about specifically criticism, dance criticism, theater, and so on. There's always going to be a room for that, but it's going to be very different. We, we, we will never see again. The Vancouver Sun was, you know, two full places of reviews yeah. of shows the night before, which we used to do. Yeah. We used to we used to go out to a show and it'd be over by ten thirty, and I'd have to run back to the office and write a review for the province by eleven ten. Yeah. Uh, it's a neat little trick, but um, <laughs> but 
But we have the space. We don't, the space isn't there anymore because, because of the, the pressures of, of the system, the commercial system. Max, I could talk all afternoon with you. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on finally after all these years, and, and this is such a great book to talk about because it's an important one. It's one that I think will will engage readers. I think it'll give us ideas as to how to move forward. Um, congratulations and continue good luck with the book. Thanks for your time today. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's been such a lot of fun. I'm sorry if I've been spouting off too far. You can you can throw out what you don't want. <laughs> and, uh, not, well, not maybe at all. maybe maybe uh, this is the beginning of another conversation sometime. Absolutely, I'd love that. Thanks well, for this, Max. Thanks a lot. The book is called The Compassionate Imagination, How the Arts Are Central to a Functioning Democracy. It's published by Cormorant Books. It's author Max Wyman. Join me on the line from Lions Bay in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.